today, as I enter into this word with this house, with this people, I ask that you help us see exactly what you see to accept the way you see it, to not try to outdo your vision, but to be in the middle of it, to see as you see. Amen? Amen. Amen. So today I want to conclude the series about the temple of God, a temple fit for a king. I want to conclude this series with the subject, How God Sees Me. Turn to the person right beside you and ask them, How does God see you? Now answer them. That's a tough question, isn't it? Let's ask ourselves. Let me ask myself. Steve, how does God see you? Let me ask Sam. Sam, don't, you don't have to answer. Rhetoric, rhetorical here. How does God see you? Chino, how does God... No, I'm not asking Chino because Chino will answer. <laughs> Kathy, how does God see you? Justina, how does God see you? How do you think God sees you? I want to talk about that today. And I want to start by saying this this morning. Don't count yourself out because you think somehow the way he sees you that you might come up short. Look at yourself. Put your hands up like it's a mirror and say this. Stop counting myself out. Now it's like you're talking to yourself. Say self. Don't count yourself out. You measure up more than you think you do. Mm-hmm. 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 So let me follow that up with this question. What do you think your biblical heroes looked like to God in their raw form? You just had to say something. <laughs> he actually had leather underwear on. But... I'm, I'm certain Haynes didn't make them. And they did not have passed the approval test. But how do you think God saw, Yahweh saw, your biblical heroes, whoever that they might be, let's say Abraham, David, uh, the Hebrew children, how do you think God saw them, Peter, James, John, Paul, how do you think that Yahweh saw them in their raw form? I'm digging back a little bit into a series that we did some time ago about follow me as I follow Christ. But how do you think that the father saw them when he created them and when they came to him, when they came into the knowledge of who he was, what, how do you think that he saw them? Do you think, how many think that Yahweh saw your biblical heroes as perfected when he saw them? Some say yes. How many say no? How many are not going to answer? (laughs) Well, you're both right because he sees everything. The problem isn't what he sees. The problem is how we see ourselves the way we think he sees us. You know, I love a good grilled steak. But when I see that grilled steak in its raw form, it's in need of something. 
I like just a little bit of pink in the middle. But when I see it in its raw form, I don't envision that steak as being any less delicious. Because I see it in the raw, but I am tasting it in the finished. (laughs) When it is in the... In fact, I have two filet mignon in my refrigerator right now that I am grilling when I leave here. I'm done. I'll see you guys later. True story. I bought two yesterday... I bought them on clearance at Publix. I don't know if that's a good idea or not. But when you talk about raw, they're really raw. And when I look at those, I saw those steaks in there. And it didn't matter to me that it said clearance. It was irrelevant. What mattered to me is I know how good filet mignon can be. Can I tell you how to cook it so it's better than anything you've ever cooked? I'm going to tell you real quick. You do it just like this. Everybody write this down. In fact, you can listen. If you don't listen to this service for any other reason, listen for this today. (laughs) When you go back and download the podcast. If you will take a cast iron skillet, put a tablespoon of olive oil in that cast iron skillet. What in the world does this have to do with anything with the kingdom? Everything. Because I feel like I'm in a cast iron skillet. So you take that cast iron skillet, you put a tablespoon of olive oil in that cast iron skillet. Then you put that cold cast iron skillet, everybody say cold. cold, cold cast iron skillet into a cold oven. Then you turn that oven on 400 degrees and you let the oven heat up with this skillet with nothing in it except olive oil in the oven. Let it heat up. And as that skillet heats up, when that oven hits 400 degrees, you already have your stove burner on high. Whether it's gas, electric, doesn't matter. Turn it up as high as it'll go. You have your stove burner on high. Your steak has been sitting out for an hour so that it can prepare itself to be cooked. So you take that cast iron skillet that's hot, put a mitt on, it's hot. You take it out of the oven and you put it up on that burning hot stovetop. Immediately you take your filet mignon or your ribeye or your sirloin or whatever steak you want and you put that on that hot steaming hot cast iron and it's going to go smokes everywhere stuff is splattering everywhere and it's such a beautiful thing and you leave it there on that side for one minute and 30 seconds I mean yeah one and a half minute 90 seconds You leave it there on that side. As soon as one minute, 30 seconds is up, you flip that filet over, grab that pan. Your oven is still on 400. You grab that cast iron skillet, stick it in your oven for eight minutes, and you have the perfect well done, uh, medium well done steak, more or less, depending on how you like your steak. Perfect. It's better than anything you've ever had. It's the most tender steak. You'll cut it with a fork. You'll cut it with your tongue. You just, uh, it's just, just the way you want it. That's beautiful. And then when you take it out of the oven, you take a little dab of butter and you put it on top and you leave it for five minutes. You've never tasted anything like it. That's you and me. I feel like maybe this morning we're short a dab of butter, but we're almost there. We're almost there. Everybody say we're almost there. That is our life. 
And that is the way that the Father sees us in our raw form. And I'll use another example momentarily. But that is the way he sees us in our raw form. He goes into Publix. He goes into his creative laboratory. He goes into his place uh, where he causes life to come into you and me. And he says, ah, there's a Steve in his raw form. He's red and yucky and got bloody stuff on the tray and, and all of that. It doesn't look real pretty right now, but that's his raw form. What I do, though, is I see the raw form, but I have a vision for the finished form. So the only way to get to the finished form is to first accept that I was in raw form. And between that raw place and that finished place, there's a getting done place. (laughs) There's a getting finished place. Amen? Let's talk about this today. So I want to answer a few questions this morning, and let me tell you what they are. How can you live up to the idea that God sees you in a perfect state without feeling defeated every time you are not perfect? Is it even possible to live in this place where we believe that God sees us, this finished product, if constantly we're reminded of our faults in our own mind, those places we're defeated? Is his expectation of you that you see or you believe he expects of you, is his expectation of you rendering you incapable of growing out of your weaknesses? In other words, he expects me to be this person that has come to the place where my faults are gone. Is, have I lost hope in being able to achieve that place he wants me to be in? And do you give up because there seems to be no hope of achieving Yahweh's view of you? Those are the questions I want to answer today. So let me tell you right now. Yahweh loves you in your raw form just like your Bible heroes. I can tell you when he picked Abraham, Abraham was raw. Abraham knew very little about the father. Very little. But yet he recognized the voice when he heard it. Abraham didn't know that in his raw form that when he heard the voice, he would recognize the voice because Abraham didn't know that the voice could speak to him. He had no idea that some sound from heaven could, inf- could fill me up and cause me to leave the land of my mother and father and go to this one. He had no idea. In his raw form, let's use David, naked David. So if we look at naked David, David comes out from tending to the critters out in the field. He comes in and he's chosen. He's selected to be a king. In David's raw form, nobody. Everybody knew David in his raw form. Nobody saw David in his finished form, but the father saw him in his raw form. And it's only because the raw form that he was in, the father knew he could use him in a finished form. David was so faithful in his rawness that Yahweh said, I can use him in his finished place, in his doneness. If he can do this raw and accept that he is not perfect in his raw form, if he can accept this, that in his raw form he sees himself as the youngest, the smallest, maybe the weakest, or the most unlikely, if he can do that, and he can see himself there, and accept that that might be where he is right now, watch what I can do with him later. Same is true of the fisherman. When God saw the fishermen, or when Christ, when Jesus saw Peter, James, and John, I'll just use them. When he saw Peter, James, and John, and he approached their boat, and he saw them fishing, and he saw them failing at doing that, he saw what? He saw three men failing at fishing. 
He saw three men incapable of pulling the fish in. Frustrated men. That's what he saw. He saw three men that were relentless. They kept fishing even when they were catching nothing. He saw three men that in their raw form, they simply needed a boost. They needed somebody to believe them. They needed someone to show them what the next thing is. What's the next step? That's what they needed. So he saw them in their very raw form. He saw them angry. He probably saw them sweaty. He probably saw them stinky. He saw them in every possible way smelling like a salmon or whatever in the world they caught out there. He saw them smelling like that. And yet, he said, gentlemen, put the net on the other side, and then when you're through catching all of those fish, come to shore, let's take a walk. He saw these men in their raw form, and he didn't say this. This is what he didn't do. He didn't say, man, these guys stink, they smell, they're fighting, they're arguing, they're very raw, they don't count. He didn't say they don't matter. These men don't even know how to fish. They act like they know how to fish. They don't even realize the fish are on the other side of the boat. I sent them there. If they weren't so raw, they would know that I sent those fish to the other side of the boat on purpose. I wanted them to come up short. But he didn't say it. He didn't say, you know what, I can't use these guys because they're useless. There's no good qualities in them. The guys are, it's just terrible. They're out there wanting to throw each other out of the boat. He didn't do that. He said, I like this rawness. I like rawness. Because it gives me something to work with. And I'm going to tell you this this morning. He likes your rawness. Because it gives him something to work with. See, when we begin to hide or try to disguise our rawness. And we begin to take that rawness or those, let's use a different word, vulnerabilities. Those places that we try to put clothing on that doesn't really fit. Makeup on that doesn't really work. Whatever it might be, and we begin to hide those. The father says, see, now I can't see the rawness. I, don't, I need to know what I'm working with. He said, I need you to be you with me. I don't need you to be the you you think I want you to be. Mm, and here lies the quandary. Most people, when they come to the knowledge of Christ, they're always trying to live every single day to be. They're trying to immediately be. In the choices they make, the decisions they make, the things that they do, they're trying to today be what might take a generation to become. They immediately begin to, by work, by effort, put on this face. When the father's now saying, you put on that face and I can't see through that. I need the raw you so that I know exactly what I, I need to know how done this steak is so I know how long to leave it in the oven. You hear me? I want to read something to you in 1 Corinthians. Turn there with me if you would, please. Everybody say this. His love love for me me. cannot be measured. So how does God see us? How does God see me? 1 Corinthians 3, uh, verse 16 and 17 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, then God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and hmm. God's temple is and hmm. 
Let's do that one more time. That's getting really good. For God's temple is holy and let's make it personal. For God's temple is holy and oh, he created you to be a temple, not just any temple, his temple. Get that for a minute. He created you to be a temple, not just any temple, his temple. And he realized, you know what? No man has ever built a house and, and decided one day. He went to an architect on Monday, and on Tuesday, the house was complete. It's never happened. Not even on these home shows where they put a whole three months of work into an hour. It doesn't happen. Nobody decided one day, I'm going to do this, and the next day, it was a completed work. He created you to be his temple. You are his temple. You are his temple. You are God's temple. You are Yahweh's temple. You are the throne upon which he sits. Boy, that makes it clear. He's sitting on you right now. In all the right ways. Serious. It is in you where he's dwelling. Not in some ethereal place, not in some place way off in the distance. He's dwelling in you right now. He created you to be a temple, not just any. He created you to be his temple. And when he did it, he created you. When he formed you, he knew this is very raw. Very raw. Let's move along. So God, everybody say this. Yahweh Yahweh. will withhold nothing from me. Because I am his. Oh, let's say it again. Yahweh Yahweh. will withhold nothing nothing from me me. because Because I'm his temple. temple. And I'm a raw temple. temple. John 15, 15 says this, says, no longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but instead I have called you friends. Why do I call you friends? Because I want to cook you. Everything I know of my father, I want to make it known to you. Everything I'm aware of about my daddy, I want you to be aware of. I want to withhold. How long do I need to put you in the oven to cook you to the place where you get, you are the temple of God. And he sees you as his temple and he sees you in a raw place. So I want to share a story. Now, I was born in 1964, and when I was born, uh, I knew that my siblings, my parents had promised that whenever we got to driving age, they would purchase our first car, and it would be the same amount. I got the short end of the stick, because there are seven people in front of me, seven And like the first one, David is probably, y'all met him at my daughter's wedding. David is probably, I'm going to guess he's 65 years old. So he's at least nine or 10 years older than me. So the deal was this, says when you guys get to driving age, we will purchase you your first car for $400. Whatever that car is, it will be $400. So by the time, you know, when you're David, 
naked David. Four hundred dollars in nineteen sixty whatever was a lot more than four hundred dollars in nineteen eighty. So by the time I got to my vehicle in nineteen eighty, four hundred dollars was more like a nickel and a dime. And yet, I searched. I was determined to get the best thing I could get for $400 because in those days, people didn't finance. You paid cash for things. I know most people, a lot of people in here don't have any idea, have no idea what that means. But $400. So my first car was, let me show you what my first car looked like. It was a 1971 Ford Gran Torino. Had a 351 Cleveland in it. And that thing would flat move. I used to pull that out. I shouldn't tell these stories, but I would drive out in the parking lots like so many of you did, and I would find one out in the middle of nowhere. They didn't have Walmart then, but I, or not in where I was at. And uh, I would find a parking lot, and I would go out there on a wet day, and I would, I mean, I would spin that car around every light post. And I would have so much fun with this vehicle. I would drive that thing, and I was so proud of it. didn't have AC. The seats inside that thing were ripped up. There was nothing special about that car other than that car was mine. And I saw that car two ways. When I first walked up to that car and I was with my dad and my dad said, Son, this is what you found. This is what you want. And I saw it before I even touched it. I saw it off in the distance and I'm walking up into this man's driveway and I walk up there with my dad and I'm 16 years old, 17 years, 16 years, 17 And I walked up to that car, and before that car, before I got my car, I was driving my dad's 1966 Chevy pickup with a three-speed manual on the the column. And every time I stopped at a stop sign, I had to get out and pop the hood and fix the (laughs) linkage. Because every time you moved out of second gear, the linkage dropped. So I'd have to pull up, and every time, it was embarrassing, man. I had my high school friends in there, hold on, man, where to stop sign? And they would be like, run it. Run it. (laughs) Takes us 45 minutes to get to school, and it should be a 10-minute drive. So I get this car, and I walk up, and it really didn't matter to me. All I knew is I liked sporty, and I wanted a sporty car. So I was looking at several versions. I really wanted a Chevy Nova SS, Super Sport, with a 350. That's what I wanted, 60s on the back, 70s on the front, Kregers. That's what I wanted. But he couldn't find one for 400 bucks. It was like trying to buy a Corvette today, back then. So I get this car and I walk up. Let me shorten the story so I can get along a little doggy. And I look at this car and I see it in the driveway. And when I see that car, I said to my dad, I want it. Son, you haven't seen it. I just did. Dad, I want it. Well, we, we should drive it first. We should make sure that the engine starts. Dad, that's the car I want. I want that 1971 Ford Gran Torino with a 351 Cleveland. Actually, I didn't know if it had the Cleveland or the Windsor because I also made a 351 Windsor. So I didn't know which engine it had in it. I just knew I wanted that 351 Ford engine that was bad to the bone. Best thing on the road at the time. And I wanted it. So I get in there. I get up there and I walk up to that car. But again, before I touched it in raw form, all I saw was the raw picture. I didn't know what the inside looked like. Didn't know if the car would start. Didn't know what it would or wouldn't do. All I knew was, I want it. And whatever doesn't work, I'm going to fix it. I see that thing in raw form, and I see what I can do with that thing. I'm looking at it where it's at. I can accept where it is because I know where it's going. 
I can accept what it is because I know what it's going to become. You hearing me this morning? And when I walked up to that car and they came up and they gave us the keys and I put that key in there and I turned that crank and when that thing turned over and it just sounded amazing and then we got to test drive that and when I test drove it and it was just absolutely phenomenal. I loved everything. Ripped seats. I loved the ripped seats. I loved that it had no air conditioning in it. I didn't care. I loved that the, the roof liner was coming down. I loved that one of the little things, the... Uh, Visors. I don't know why I couldn't think of that. Because I'm stuck on Naked David. I love that one of the visors didn't have one of the little clips on it. I loved it. I didn't care. That was my car. That thing has been assigned to me. And I'm going to do something with this raw vehicle. I see what it is, but I know what it can become. And I know between what it is and what it will become is going to be a journey. And I know that I'm working at Bill Knapp's restaurant bussing tables. So it's going to take me a while i got to bust a lot of tables to be able to pay for what I want to do in this thing. There's a lot of work I'm going to have. I worked at A&W Restaurant. I had to sweep the parking lot. I'm going to have to sweep that parking lot a long time, getting 13 bucks a week to do what I need to do in this thing. But I'm going to do it. And I got that car, and we drove off, took that thing home, and I immediately began to decide all the things that I was going to change on it, what I was going to do. And the first thing, I know this is bizarre to this generation, but in that generation, where it was, and the cars parked outside, and humidity and everything, humidity and all, first thing I was going to do to that car was I was going to install a rear window defrogger. Defogger. <laughs> so the first thing I bought, not online, because there was no, no, there was no online. First thing I did was I went to an auto parts store and I bought me a rear window defogger kit. And I got in that truck and I ripped the back seat out and I ran wires under the carpet and I had that rear window. So when I got up in the morning and I was going to school, I'd push that little button. I just still remember it was a little black little toggle and I would push it and the red light would come on and my windows would suddenly get little stripes of clearness. And I was so proud because that raw thing was becoming a finished thing. That was the first step. And then about two weeks after having the car, in fact, I had just installed that window defogger, just installed it. And my dad said to me, he said, son, I need to take your car because I need to go down to the Department of Motor Vehicles and we got to do something. And they got to, back then you had to take it to have it registered and they check things out. And he said, I got to take it on the way there. He wrecked it. Ran that rascal right underneath of the semi-trailer, not a moving semi-trailer, sitting still. He just turned his head. He wasn't texting, turned his head. Ran it right up in there, just right across the hood of my car. And there was no cell phone, so my dad couldn't call me and say, son, I just wrecked your car. All I know is I get home from wherever I was that day, and I look in the driveway, and there's my pretty car with a right across the hood of the car. And suddenly what was raw was even more raw. I didn't know it could get that raw. I didn't know undone could become more undone. <laughs> didn't hinder me. I wasn't mad at my dad. I was glad he was alive. I was glad he was safe. Because at the time, I thought the semi was moving. <laughs> but I remember saving my money, and let me wrap this story up, but I remember continuing to work hard and continuing, AJ, to save my money and building up and adding little things. I changed the tires. I changed the wheels. I, I put little things on inside that. I began to, I, I got a, back then, I didn't replace the seats, but I put covers on the seats. You would have never known. It looked brand new. Never tried to put AC in it, but I changed the radio. I put a CB radio in it. CB, because I thought that would be cool. So I could like talk to 911. Breaker 19, this is, this is Smokey running down the road. 
Had me a CB radio with one of those cool antennas on top that were about 40 feet tall. Every overpass you went under, that bang, 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 it just bounces back, and the people had tennis balls on top of them. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Everybody over 45, 50-something knows exactly what I'm talking about. But see, point being, I saw that thing in raw, raw form, and I loved what it was, and I saw it, and I accepted what it was in the raw because I knew what it could be finished. So I could work through the rawness. I could work through the loud muffler that took me some time to replace. I could work through the unmatched tires. If there's anything that bothers me about a vehicle, even today, if I see it and it has a Bridgestone on the right front and it has a Uniroyal on the left front, it drives me nuts. I'm thinking, why don't people change tires at the same time? And I see and it drives me, and I didn't like it because mine had that. It had every brand, I represented every tire company. So I saved until I could change that because I saw what was raw. This is a $400 car. To me, it's priceless. But to me, it's priceless. You can't put a value on it. And now it even has a pretty little personalized crease in the hood. But this is what I see. But I also know what it can become. But I can't just jump to what it will be. I've got to work with that. So I had to defend it sometimes. Every now and then I would defend this car because people would say, why would you want that thing? It doesn't have AC. It doesn't have whatever. Back then, cars, AC, air conditioning was an option when you bought a car. Nowadays, it's standard. But back then, it was an option. And nobody chose it. Back then, manual was an option on every vehicle. In fact, you had to choose automatic. Standard was standard. So I got the car. And I loved it. And I began to do all the work and I would have to defend it because my friends would say, Steve, you got a piece of junk. But see, all they could see was what they thought it would be, what they thought it should be. They saw whatever all their buddies were driving or what they were driving or what everybody else was doing. They saw what they thought it should be. Steve, you shouldn't drive anything like that. You should be embarrassed. But by the end of that school year, everybody loved my car because my car was the fastest car in school. And my car was the coolest car in school by the end of that school year. Why? Because what they didn't see in the beginning, I did, and I accepted. I was willing to accept this thing in its rawness, knowing what its finished place could be. So in defending that thing, I can tell you today, Yahweh is the same way. He defends his temple. You are the temple of God. How does God see you? He sees you in your raw form. He he accepts you in your rawness because he knows where he wants to take you and he will defend the process. In Romans 8, chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, it says this. He says, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, I will defend you. There is nothing that can keep me from doing a work in you if you will allow yourself to accept that your raw place is an okay place and let me do a work in you. Stop trying to be raw or stop accepting that you're raw while trying to be perfected before anything's even been done. 
Don't worry about impressing the people that are across the auditorium. Don't worry about impressing the people that are on your job. Don't worry about trying to present yourself in such a way that you are yet not. Be the raw you that he is working with because as long as we expose, this is who I am. This is what it is. Now I'm letting him see, I need a rear window defogger. I need some Bondo on the hood of my car or dry ice. You know, dry ice pulls dents out. I need whatever. And that's what we need to be before him. He will defend his temple because he recognizes you are my temple and in your rawness, Deborah. In your rawness, I love it. Because in your rawness, it lets me know that I get to shape you. If you shape yourself, you're going to come up short. But if you let me shape you, I will shape you into the fullness that you were created to be. And Yahweh will withhold nothing from you. John 15, 15 says, no longer do I call you. We read this a minute ago, but I'm going to read again. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. He said, I will withhold nothing from you. Because by informing you, everybody say, I am informed. In fact, say it like this. Say, I am an informed temple. If you're listening. Kaylee sang it this morning. If you see me, you'll find me. How's it go? (laughs) If you knock, I'll open the door. That makes the point. (laughs) That's what he's doing. He will withhold nothing. He makes everything available to you to grow you and change you. Not in an instant, not in a moment, not in a twinkling of an eye. How does God see me? He sees me as his temple. And he sees me as a temple that is raw and being shaped and it's being fashioned. Colossians chapter 2, he sees you as you are. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all. Everybody say all. All. Which ones does that leave out? One of the things I hate about, I had this conversation with Sam Miranda the other day, not because he believed the other way, but we were just talking about this. But one of the things that drives me about the system of church religion, the church religious world, the anti-Christ mentality is that we are always sinners. Such a lie again. That's anti-Christ. Because we are not always sinners. We were. But when we receive Christ, he redeems us from what? We've had this before. Did he redeem us from all of it or just pieces of it? Did he leave just enough there so that we could still be sinners? And which part of sin does he leave in you so that you have to go around telling everybody I'm a sinner? I was a sinner and I was saved by grace. But at that point, he forgave me of what? All. Uh, which, Which ones? All my trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against me with its legal demands. This he set aside by nailing it to the cross. I'm nailing it to the cross. You don't have to carry this anymore. 
See, in our rawness, we're afraid to be raw because in our raw place, no matter who we are, whatever place we are, however long we've been in the faith, however long we've known the Father, this raw place that is in us, we, we, we begin to accept that, you know what, this is, this, uh, there's just nothing he's ever going to be able to do about this. So we begin to hide that. And we, we feel like we're closer to God if we, if we hide our, our, those places that are vulnerable. In fact, I would, I would say this. I would say that we separate ourselves from God when we begin to hide those things. I would say that we say to him, we don't trust you to do with my raw thing what you say you'll do. I believe I can do better with me than you can. But that's not what he wants. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, your mind has not been circumcised, not been changed yet. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us, every single one, all of our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Why? Because you are his temple and this is how God sees you. God sees you two ways. He sees you in your raw form and he sees you in your finished form. And what you have to accept today is there is a raw you. Now, how raw are you? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how raw you are. Ask your wife. (laughs) Or your husband. They'll tell you how raw you are because your rawness really shows up when you're not in this room. Is that fair? Our rawness shows up when we're not in the group of people. Our rawness shows up when something doesn't go right. And we can do something with that rawness. We can say, you know what? I was the temple of God until I got real raw. Man, he was sitting on me until three minutes ago. And then I lost it. And then I did this, or I did that. And suddenly, then I'm not his temple anymore. And then we begin to wear that. And we carry that. And we beat ourselves up over that. And we give up on him because of that. We stop trusting ourselves. We're embarrassed. We're ashamed. We've lost hope. Because somehow we keep finding ourselves in any given moment. Somehow we find ourselves in this raw place that exposed something about us. And we feel like in that raw place, Oh, now you've seen me, Father. Now you really know who I am. Didn't know that was me, did you? He knew exactly who he was getting. He knew when he got to the seashore and he saw the guys on the boat, he knew exactly what he was getting. He knew that he was getting three sweaty, stinky, fishy men. But he knew what he could turn them into. He knew exactly what he was getting when he knocked on the door of your heart and he found Cody Hebner and he found a Cody Hebner in a very raw form that had a lot of inadequacies, a lot of faults, a lot of things, a lot of places that needed to be fixed and repaired. I'm laying it on you, Cody. I'm sorry, but... But he, lay, he knew when he knocked on the door of your heart and he knew what he was getting. He said, man, I can work with raw. And as long as this guy will be raw with me, then I can fix raw. I can cook it. I can stick it in an oven 400 degrees. And in eight minutes, not real minutes, not real minutes. Don't, don't, don't get it. In just a short amount of time, what was raw, I can cut it with my tongue. That's probably not a good analogy either. 
When it's done, it'll be the best thing I've ever put in my mouth. It'll be a finished product. But the process between going from raw to, to finish doesn't mean that when we start in our raw form, that suddenly we try to dress ourselves up like we're finished. You can't tell a raw filet mignon, look done. So I don't have to see the blood on the tray. I need you to look done. I know you're raw, but I need you to look done before I pick you up and put you on the pan. No, because you're not going to change it. But see, we do that. Somehow we think we can do that. I'm going to look done. There's a lot of rawness about me, but I want to look done. So I'm going to shape it all up and I'm going to mold it and I'm going to shape it and I'm going to fake it till I make it. (laughs) I'm going to do whatever I've got to do. That was a terrible cliche. But I'm going to do whatever I've got to do so that he can do his work in me. In its purest form, and its purest form is honesty, and it's in truth. It's with integrity. Saying I'm laying it all out there. I won't say who. Somebody shared a story this morning, shared a story with their rawness just this week. But I love that in that raw moment, that rawness doesn't defeat them. Didn't defeat them. Didn't say, oh. They knew in their rawness, you know what? Listen, there's a lot going on in this world. And you know what? I'm going to just tell you the truth. I'm going to wrap this thing up. But I'm going to tell you the truth. There's some raw things about me. It would disappoint you. There's raw things. I don't, I'm not trying to hide them. Hang around me long enough and you're going to see some raw things. And some of it might upset you. I don't, I'm not going to just show you. Let me show you this raw part of me. But I'm not going to try to hide it. I'm going to be me because I need him to do a work on the me. Not the me I think I am. I need him to work on this heart. I need him to work on this rawness. I need him to work on this red steak. I need him to prepare it, marinate it, whatever he's going to do to it. I need him to do whatever it takes. Sometimes we sit in it, in our rawness, because for that very reason, to be marinated. You know what the marinade does? It doesn't just give it flavor. The marinade, the the reason for a marinade is because it tenderizes the meat. It's not just for flavor. It breaks down the fiber so that when you put it in the oven, you get it out. It's, and the Father knows how to tenderize us. He knows how to marinate us. Sometimes we have to sit in our moment for a little while. We just have to sit there. Oh, God has forgotten about me. He didn't forget about you. He's marinating you. He doesn't know where I'm at. He knows exactly where you are. You're not ready to go in the oven yet. And it's okay. And it needs to be okay with the person that's sitting beside you. If we're really going to be the kingdom. Mariah, I'm not even going to ask why you smiled so big. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) But it needs to be okay with that person that you live with. It needs to be okay with those people you call friends. This is my rawness. It's, It's difficult sometimes. But we're answering the question, how does God see me? And only you can answer that. And I'm going to tell you today. I can tell you. I can answer. I can give you part of the answer. He sees you raw. In our mind that we've been taught, it's to believe that he sees us perfected. And yes, he does. He knows what the end looks like from the beginning. He does. But today when he's looking at you, he sees you in a boat. He sees you in a tray that has cellophane wrapped around it or plastic wrapped around it that's still undone and he knows where he's going to take it and that it being you and me he knows where he wants to take us so how does he see us he sees me as a temple and he's going to defend this temple 
even in its unfinished way. All the walls aren't finished. Everything's not done. But I am his temple, and he will defend me. He said he would. I am his temple, and he counted me worthy. When he created me, he counted me worthy to become his temple. He said, you know what? I believe in you enough that I'm going to be seated on the throne of your heart. I'm going to seat myself there. I can rule from there. That's fascinating. So today, be willing to be raw. And be willing to be cooked. But wherever you are, be willing more than anything. Be honest with where you are. And don't try to fake who you are. Be who you are. Because you being who you are, us being vulnerable with one another, helps me to know what I might have that I might be able to impart to you. Or you might have something that I need in my raw form, and now you can impart that to me. But when we're all faking it and we look exactly alike, nobody knows where anybody's at. So I encourage you to be real. Be raw. Because he sees you as his temple. And he sees you as worthy to be his temple. Doesn't justify saying, I'm not letting him do anything in my life, then I'm just going to keep being raw because raw is easy. No. We're not doing that. If you leave that raw steak out on that counter, you leave it in the refrigerator. You leave it anywhere. You leave that raw thing in that raw form long enough, it's going to spoil. It'll be of no use. It has to be worked. It has to be made ready. It has to be prepared. And that's what he's doing in us. But first, we have to accept that the way God sees me is his temple, and I'm raw. And he sees me raw. And I'm going to stop trying to pretend like I'm already a finished work. If I can stop pretending that, I'll let him do some serious work. Amen? Stand with me this morning, if you would, please. And if anybody really wants to take a picture of that Ford Grand Torino home with you and put it on your wall, you can, I'm just... It's actually not my exact car. Mine was brown, but it's the same style, same model. Father, I'm thankful today. Would you look at me this morning? Father, I'm thankful today for the men and women that are gathered here. I'm thankful today for those who are watching online this morning. I'm thankful for those that are going to listen to this service, and it's going to be a month, a year, years down the road, and it's recorded. I'm thankful for my grandchildren that someday will hear this message. I pray that the life that's in the Word today will still be life in this Word tomorrow for every person that's hearing. And I pray that today you will help us to accept that you're working in us You are changing us, but you see us as your temple. You see us worthy, worthy to be your temple. And you're not ashamed of us. You're not embarrassed by us. You're not embarrassed by our raw form. You're not embarrassed by the mistakes that we make along the way. You're not embarrassed by that. In fact, you enjoy the fact that we still need you to change those raw places. We can't do it without you. Thank you that you are doing an incredible, magnificent work in us. Be glorified today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Bless you today.